So I turned off all the water to my house today. That was an accident. It's all good now. It was a mistake. It was an alarm. I hit some buttons, didn't know what I was doing, and uh, ran around the house in a robe, like screaming alone because my parents weren't there. But it's all good now. I fixed it. And uh, that was my excitement for the day. (laughs) Casual. Happy Saturday. Anyways, this is Bad Grads. This is our inaugural episode because we did uh, record one a couple of weeks ago and it didn't uh, work very well. And unfortunately, we had to scrap it due to audio issues. We're hoping that this version is a little bit better. Uh, Now we both have mics, um, which is great. And we can record and it'll be awesome. But I was on Twitter a couple of weeks ago and someone was like we have like the population as a whole has officially um like bought all of the podcasting mics on amazon like you can't get anymore and really then in the comp- yeah and then in the comments is gonna be like all these dumb bitches thinking they're gonna start podcasts and i started laughing oh, and shit. i was like wait i'm bitches i'm bitches <laughs> to be fair you already have all this mic you were already professional and prepared I'm the one that had to go get on this level. You might have had to buy a mic, but we're both like, let's start a fucking podcast. (laughs) This is true. Just jumping into it during the quarantines. Exactly. Quarantines. But, you know, we're here now. This, I'm sure this recording is probably going to be better. And if it's not better than the first one, you know, then you'll never hear this. (laughs) (laughs) This is just for us. Exactly. I think it'll be better. I believe in us. I know. I think I think it'll be better too. And you're not in your bathtub this time, so like, I'm not in my bathtub. I'm hoping there's no echoing. Um, I'm trying to be a professional by sitting on my couch. I mean, I'm in my bed, so like, really, <laughs> professionalism. We don't know her. Yeah, I guess that's why we're called bad grads because we're grad students who can't even be professional in grad school. Exactly. We're just bad at being grads, to be honest. We really but, are. Know, it's whatever. It's whatever. I don't even know. Speaking of grads, my undergrad had their virtual graduation today. So it's been a year Yay. since I graduated undergrad. Ooh, that's weird. Also very strange. It's been a year since I saw some of my best friends. But, like, mm. it's, it's just, like, a weird thing to being, like, I'm old now. Like, the underclassmen are graduating. And I'm like, what's Oh, happening? yeah, that's odd. It's also weird to think, like, time goes by so much. I've read this thing that said time goes by so much faster now because it's taking up less of your life. So, like, one year out of 18 years is slower because it's a smaller portion. And this may not actually make sense, but it made sense in my head. And I can understand why now one out of 22 seems like a lot faster and less than one out of, like, 16. It's moving fast. So did you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Kate. I'm a criminology graduate student in Portland, Oregon. Um, I enjoy dogs, uh, beer, horror, and anime. Because Wow. Yeah, I'm just a nerd. <laughs> I also like data. I love data. I'm a hoe for data. So you're a data gal, not a data gal. Data, data. If it comes on a freaking spreadsheet, I want it. <laughs> wow, that's the coolest thing you've ever said. 
Thank you. <laughs> what about you, Cal? Introduce yourself. So my name's Callie. You can call me Cal. Um, if you meet me, I'll, ever, I'll definitely introduce myself as Callie, like the state. It's really embarrassing. I hate that I do that. But I'm going to continue to do it because it gets the point across. And I like, I don't know. I went on a picnic today. That was pretty fun. I like to read. I don't really like to do homework, and yet I'm always fucking doing it. And we have a couple of cases and just topics we wanted to discuss today that we feel could be pretty important. Yeah. And so a quick disclaimer on bad grads. Um, like the name, we are graduate students. We are in no way professionals. Not even uh, a little bit. We are interested in the world of criminology, uh, true crime, policy, reform, anything that kind of goes under the label of what criminology is. Um, we're interested in it. We wouldn't be in this field if we weren't. Uh, but this podcast is a way for us to talk about things that we find interesting and that are maybe we don't get to explore a lot within our studies. But if you don't find that interesting, that's okay. You don't have to listen to it. We're going to enjoy ourselves nonetheless. (laughs) Exactly. And it's like, why not do this? So we're we're here. We're going to be talking about some stuff. And uh, again, forgive us if we get any of this information wrong. Um, Honestly, please correct us because I need to learn. I want to be the best I can be and I can't do that. If I'm constantly wrong. (laughs) Absolutely. And if, if we do get things wrong, you can... Uh, contact us at badgradspodcast at gmail.com and you can check the description link of wherever you are listening to uh, this podcast at for that information and where to find out more about us, where to contact us and yell at us if we're being idiots, if we're being bad grads. (laughs) (laughs) I promise to only cry a little bit. Don't worry, we're really good at that. Anyway, do you want to start it off, Kate, with talking about your case? I would love to. Or your um, topic. So, yeah, so this week, or I guess our inaugural episode, I don't know what the hell to say. This, okay, this <laughs> week I'm talking about um, a case of wrongful imprisonment. Awesome. Um, and I really, I'm really interested in the forensic side of cases. I'm really interested in you know, forensic evidence uh, and how, you know, it's constantly changing, et cetera. We talk about forensic-based criminology, evidence-based criminology, mm-hmm. um, and how we're, we're trying to get that into the field of criminology, like, more regularly. Um, yeah, it's not used as much as you think it would be. Exactly. And criminology is a very young discipline compared to other things we're a combination Mm -hmm. of psychology sociology uh you know social work politics we're a big old mod podge of ologies exactly we're a bunch of ologies and we're relatively young uh so we're, we're still evolving we're still figuring out how to get things to you know match up with the current times and uh we're still working through it but i'm really interested in forensics like i said and um this case I'm looking into uh, has to do with uh, bite mark forensics. Interesting. And I'm very excited to see where this goes. If you don't mention yeah. the one case I'm thinking of, I'm gonna go crazy. I think I'm gonna. I think I know what you're talking about, and I'm gonna mention that. Okay. Great. Um, bite mark forensics has been used in a bunch of different ways to kind of get it. You know, some background on what 
Bite Mark Forensics is. It is called Forensic Dentistry. And it is the use of using your teeth to identify people. If you have a Jane Doe or a John Doe and you just find uh, their bodies and maybe they have teeth, you can match it with matching with dental records and figure out uh, like who this person is. But with bite mark forensics, let's say you find a dead body. It has a bite mark on it. And you can make, if it's clear enough, you can make a cast of that bite. And suddenly you can match those to dental records. And let's say like this person has a certain bite pattern, a very distinctive teeth pattern, um, maybe a a filling or a cap or something. A question Uh, about this. Yes. So I feel like, especially definitely in the U.S., I know braces are super common, so it's not unheard for people to have just like regularly straight teeth. Are there just super differences that I'm unaware of? Because I don't know that much about teeth anyway. Mm-hmm. So so for the standard person, do most people have about the same bite mark or? I mean, I think it'll change because I think it's like the idea of forensic dentistry is like teeth are kind of like fingerprints but not Mm -hmm. as accurate like everyone has a different bite pattern Mm -hmm. because our jaws are all unique but Uh I I don't know if like I don't know so much about it like maybe looking into like twins do they have a similar like if they're identical twins do they Mm -hmm. have identical bite marks like okay I really don't know unless there's like a uh, like a, a genetic deformity between the two um but I guess I just wasn't sure about um people who just tend to have I don't know too much about teeth, so maybe that's part of it. But I didn't think about the how jaws come into play with that and actually biting patterns. So it's a good way to look at that. That makes sense. Yeah. Because, like, when you have, like, a, a, a missing, like, an unknown body, like, there's usually, like, if you have a filling, if you have a certain bite mark pattern and you've ever gone to a dentist, they're going to have a at least x-rays or something to match it up with. Like, for instance, like, probably the first known case of forensic dentistry was done in, uh, when was it? Like, uh, it was 49 BC. Oh, I was Um, not expecting that early. Wow. Because someone was sentenced to death, and someone wanted proof that this person had died. Uh, So they showed, like, they took the teeth and were like this This is is their teeth teeth. (laughs) that was a very distinctive smile and they're like yeah this person's dead oh that's like that's kind of morbid but like that's one of the first documented cases of using teeth to identify a person but bite mark there's there's a couple of big cases where bite mark forensics uh Mm -hmm. had uh been used most known probably was ted bundy yeah, that's who um, I was thinking of. Yeah, um, who um, he had sexually assaulted Lisa Levy, or Levi. I'm so sorry if I'm getting the last names wrong. I've heard it pronounced Levy in a lot of documentaries. Okay, so Lisa Levy, um, and he left clear bite marks, and they actually uh, matched the bite marks to her body to him. But also another case is Megan's Law. So it's the state of New Jersey versus Jesse Timidiquas. Timidiquas. Timidiquas or something. But this man was a uh, neighbor of this young girl. Her name was Megan. She was seven years old. 
he had two previous convictions for sexually assaulting young girls, so he was a sex offender. They did not know. He lived next door, and uh, he killed her. Mm-hmm. Um, so Megan's law ri- requires law enforcement to disclose details relating uh, to the location of sex registered sex offenders. Um, so horrible case, like heartbreaking. Uh, but Megan's law is now set in place so that, you know, people know who their neighbors are if they are a sex offender. Uh, they caught him because they found her, um, her body uh, with bite marks on it, and the bite marks matched him. That's another case of bite mark forensics being used in that way to correctly, um, mm-hmm. you know, catch a, a killer. But... There's a lot of controversy with bite mark uh, forensics. The Board of Forensics Odontology, uh, again, if I can't pronounce it, it's my own damn fault. Um, <laughs> they found a 63% rate of false identify- identification oh, using That's the big boy. Forensics. Oh, it's a big boy. Um, and this case is one of those cases where a bite mark was used to convict someone for a murder that they did not commit. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. So I found this case because I am on the email list for The Innocence Project. I love The Innocence Project. I worked with them on a cold case I was involved with. Hell, yeah. Yeah. So it is a great organization. I encourage everyone to look them up and get involved. Uh, They're doing great work, and they are still working to... Uh, help out uh, falsely imprisoned people during this quarantine as well. And this, um, the case that I'm going to cover today, um, I got an email a couple of weeks ago announcing her release. Yay! uh, Due to an expedited order because of the coronavirus. Uh, And uh, she is now out of prison after 15 years of wrongful imprisonment. That is so horrible. So this is the case of, you know, wrongful imprisonment of Sheila Denton. So Sheila Denton was convicted of felony murder in 2006. Uh, On May 21st, 2004, the body of Eugene Garner was found at his home. Uh, The body was strangled and beaten. So who is Eugene Garner? Do they know each other or? So it was said that, they did. And I was said that Sheila was at Eugene's place at the time. Okay. Um, this, of course, this is uh, from the Innocence Project's website mm-hmm. um, talking about the case. And they also have a direct link of why the bite mark forensics is unlawful. So again, the body was found strangled and beaten. Um, and on the autopsy, they found something that could potentially be a bite mark. So the key word there is potentially. Yeah. Uh, So a forensic dentist stated that based on the evidence, it was probable that a that a bite mark on Eugene's arm was from Sheila Denton, and this was the only evidence presented at the trial. It's pretty slim. So you've got something that could potentially be a bite mark. You have a probable finding that it was a bite mark. It was probably from her, and that was the only evidence. So, how, how did this even make it through? 
they just wanted to close the case. That was the only evidence presented at the trial. So she was convicted of felony murder in 2006. Flash forward to 2017. The SCHR, which is the Southern Center of Human Rights, motioned for a new trial uh, discrediting uh, the bite mark based off of findings of studies said that forensic dentistry is uncredible within cases of murder. See, that's what I had heard when you had brought it up. I was a little curious and I was going to ask about it because I thought it wasn't even credited anymore. Mm -hmm. It was, so it's not credited anymore. We don't use it as main evidence. It's possible that it could be backed up as like secondary evidence, but it doesn't really work. Like there's cases of, like there's a case of Ray Crone. Uh, He was convicted of murder um, based on a bite mark evidence on a woman's left breast. Mm -hmm. Um, But DNA evidence later uh, proved him to be innocent. So it's not at all like fact. Mm -hmm. Like there are definitely very distinctive teeth patterns. But for like, everyday cases again like what was what was the statistics i said that the 60 uh 63 percent rate of like false identifications like that's enough to be like no yeah that's an extreme number yeah so basically with this new trial five forensic dentistry experts say that you know this forensic dentistry within bite marks to convict is uncredible. And by today's scientific standards, the bite mark that they found wasn't a bite mark. They don't qualify it as a bite mark. So I don't know what they found. Did they find indentations? Maybe it was a scar that looked like it could have been a bite mark. That's odd. Or maybe it was something like someone had like very sharp nails and like dug into yeah. and it looked like- Definitely either way, if you're not sure- that it is that how could you even use it you know exactly but they really had no evidence to go off in this case and they just went for it yeah that was in 2017 when Mm -hmm. they called for the new trial in may 29th 2018 an evidentiary hearing was held and according to (laughs) legalbeagle.com wow so credible it is. It's a legal terminology website. It's just a funny name. It really is. Um, I didn't know what an evidentiary hearing was, so I looked it up, and basically it's a uh, any court proceeding that involves witness giving testimony under oath, presents uh, under oath, under oath. Under oath. Uh, yeah, under oath. Uh, they present evidence at uh, an evidentiary hearing, so it's like... Mm-hmm. like we have a professor did this for as a you know an expert witness on a, a certain area of criminology mm-hmm. and they did that as an evidentiary hearing so I thought that was cool it is uh, cool. But basically so so that those findings of the uh unreliable uh 
you know, bite marks and the fact that it wasn't even a bite mark by today's standards. Flash forward to February of this year. So this, this year, is, okay. <laughs> yeah, so this is two years after the evidentiary hearing. Um, on February 7th, 2020, Chief Judge of the Superior Court of the Waycross Judicial Court uh, Circuit in Georgia. By the way, this happened in Georgia. I feel like I should say that. Oh, I love that. I was also like, topical. Um, the, so the chief judge uh, reversed the 2006 conviction on the grounds that bite mark evidence used is no longer accepted by science. Hmm. So stating Pretty bold that, statement. Exactly. So stating that the future admissibility of such evidence is dubious at best. I like that word. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really interesting going back from, you know, uh, pivotal cases like Megan's Law. Mm-hmm. Ted Bundy, like cases where bite mark evidence was the reason why mm-hmm. people got I, caught. I wouldn't say bite mark evidence is the reason Ted Bundy got caught. There's definitely no. a lot more there. If that had been it, the only was, thing, yeah. I would hope he wouldn't have been convicted, although I'm clearly glad he was. Yeah. That's definitely I, just not enough evidence. That's yeah, that's a misspoke speaking on my part. It's not the only thing, but it was like considered to be hard evidence to the point where it would just backed up the trial even more. But like mm-hmm. he had so many things. But like for like Megan's law, for example. Yeah, like that's, that's a, a very important law to have. But it's it's proven mm-hmm. that he was the one that did it. So it's yeah. different. But now it's twenty here is twenty twenty mm-hmm. and it's dubious at best. Yeah. So well, we've also just come so far. There are so many other advancements. That absolutely. Like we shouldn't be relying on this weak evidence. Absolutely. And I'm glad that we came to that realization because I wonder how many people are in prison right now on charges that they did not, they're not guilty for. Like they, they didn't do it on like evidence that is dubious at best. That is horrible to think about. It's ridiculous. The mass incarceration that is just overflowing for so many reasons. But um, I definitely feel like that was a really good topic. And definitely, I mean, open my eyes a bit because I didn't know much of anything about this type of stuff, except for the Ted Money case. That's all I knew. Exactly. But, uh, and then April 9th, 2020, so just last month, uh, Sheila Denton was released after 15 years of wrongful Yay! imprisonment. She uh, Yes. And she is uh, a mother and a grandmother. Oh, wow. And now she can live her life outside of prison. Um, but those 15 years are 15 years she will never get back. It is. And uh, it's not like we can repay her for that. No one can. No. no. So, uh, again, huge thanks to the work of the SCHR, which, again, is the Southern Center of Human Rights and the Innocence Project. Please go look up those two organizations, support them. Uh, They're doing amazing work. They're doing work that, you know, they shouldn't have to be doing, Mm -hmm. but they are. Uh, And also um, look at the Innocence Files, which is a uh, series now on Netflix, which is talking about... Hold up, uh, I didn't know that was a thing. Mm-hmm, so now oh it's goodness. on Netflix, so it's, uh, you know, following uh, the cases of, you know, individuals who are wrongfully imprisoned and, uh, you know, their battle to get out and prove their innocence. So that is on Netflix, and uh, go get that a watch because important stories need to be told and need to be heard. I might need to. I feel like I need to step it up in comparison. No, you don't. You're good. 
Well, I'm going to be talking a bit about a case that does touch a little home with me. So for those listening, I am from Alabama, and this case took place in Mississippi in an area really close to pretty much where I grew up and where I went to school. It was very, very close by. They talk about um, Lauderdale County a bit, which is the county in which I went to my undergrad, and it's just something I followed for years and something I wanted to touch on. So this case takes place in 2014, and it took place in Meridian, Mississippi, and it's the case of Christian Andriacchio. And so basically, Christian Christian Andriacchio, he has quite a tongue twister name. He was this... (laughs) He was a 21-year-old guy. He was known to be super fun-loving, just this really hilarious dude. And he had recently begun, not recently, he'd been working there for about two years on a towboat. And he really loved his job. And it was just something he was super passionate about. And he really loved it. So he had just gone. He had been working and he had come back for the night. And later that night, he had been found with a single gunshot wound to the head in his upstairs bathtub. Mm. And there were a lot of... Yeah, it's really horrible. It's really sad. And it was listed as a suicide, which, to be fair, most headshot wounds do tend to be. But once I tell you a little bit more about the case, you're going to be really confused as to why it was ruled up. Also, did you say bathtub? Bathtub, yes. Yeah. Pretty common. Very common place. Yeah. But, so, there were two people in the house when he was found, which was his girlfriend at the time, Whitley Goodman, and Dylan Swearingen, I guess is how you say that. And they were both in the house when he was there. And I'm going to be talking a lot about who was there when they were leaving, where they were going from. And a lot of this information was found online from various sources. But the one I found to be the most useful was a vlogumentary completed by Kendall Ray and her husband, Josh, who worked with the family and worked with the city to create this really in-depth documentary about it. So, Mm. yeah, so all three gunshot residue on their hands. So Christian, Whitley, and Dylan. Now, if it's a suicide, I'm not really sure why there would be gun residue on the other two individuals' hands, but that's not even the least of it. So, again, it was immediately ruled a suicide by the police, but on the coroner listed the death as undetermined, so everyone's a little bit confused as to why they jumped to this conclusion so fast. And a little bit of a background into the relationship of Whitley and Christian as they were having relationship issues. Whitley had recently apparently made false claims for false pregnancy claims and was trying to get him Mm -hmm. to marry her it's very it was a very rocky relationship to say the least and it seems that he wasn't interested based off of the messages and evidence that we have of that and that he was the way the relationship is described by their friends and peers is that they were just having fun but Whitley wanted it to be more I guess that although they were boyfriend girlfriend she definitely wanted it to be a little more serious than it was, and that was just the impression from the friends. However, I do want to take into account that doesn't really mean it that much. That's really just like an impression. People make bad impressions all the time. That doesn't really mean yeah. too much. But Whitley had also been pressuring Christian regarding life insurance, and I do want to point out he is a 21-year-old guy, and she is 18, 19. She was 19 at the time. I'm sorry. And who who looks into that? I've never looked into life insurance. I I don't think I have life insurance. If that's a thing I should be worried yeah. about, I'm not. I definitely don't think I've I don't I don't think I have a life insurance policy. I don't Yeah. I don't feel like don't that's know. normal. And especially even if you did, your newfound boyfriend wouldn't be investigating it. And when I say newfound, I mean just a few months. He had actually been in a serious 
like multiple year long relationship with his previous girlfriend. They had just broken up not too, too terribly long before, like a year or two before went in when she had went away to school and they just decided the long distance wouldn't work out, but they were still close apparently based off the family's remarks. They still talked all the time and they were on good terms. But nonetheless, so him and Whitley were dating and they had, she had been investigating these life insurance claims, which he only had because of his job on the towboat. Apparently that just comes hand in hand because there are accidents on these types of jobs pretty often. So I guess that based off of what the family said, he didn't really choose to have it. It's really more so something he was provided with his job. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Cause I know that with, you know, my old job, uh, we had, you know, policies in place for, you know, a lot of technicians if mm-hmm. in case of injury, et cetera. Yeah. It was, it was not a dangerous job, but we also, I know that you had, there was a, a optional life insurance policy that you could uh, put, you know, aside money of your paycheck into. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's something with like full time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shout out to grad school. We don't <laughs> got that opportunity. No, yeah. we are very part time. I'm pushing the boundaries of part time employment, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. I am part time. Yeah. And so he actually was full time. He would leave for weeks at a time on this towboat, come back. His schedule was actually very complicated. I tried to learn it, but it was very much like late nights, long shifts, and then he'd be off for a couple days. Just a really hard job, but again, he really enjoyed it. And he was actually away at work during this time, but he was contacted by a friend who, like I said, they were already having relationship issues and they were struggling, as recalled by pretty much everyone they knew. He received a call while working that one of his friends had seen Whitley driving around with his car with another guy in the car. And I guess that just really got under his skin. I can imagine that would get under my skin because that's your car, your girlfriend with someone else. And they, he had found out she was cheating on him. So he said he wanted to rush back. He didn't want her staying in his apartment anymore. Cause that, that was another thing he had let her stay in his apartment. And so that's why she had happened to already be there and she had access to his car and everything. And so he says, I'm going to rush back. I need to break things off. He had never officially said he was going to end it, but he said he was at the very least kicking her out. He didn't want her staying there anymore. And he had this conversation with multiple friends. So he calls one of his friends, I believe the name was Justin, and he was going to pick him up, but then something changed and Dylan ended up picking him up instead. So Dylan comes Mm -hmm. through to pick him up and it was said that Dylan picked him up at around 8 a.m. on the 26th, February 26th, 2014 and brought him back to his apartment where Whitley was staying and so this was about an eight-hour drive it was really he had to leave pretty early and um they got back you know they spent a long day driving but they immediately get back and the two of them start fighting Whitley and Christian started discussing their relationship they're yelling at each other it was a very heated argument once again they were already having these issues so they were really trying to I'm not sure that they were necessarily trying to work it out as much as get their emotions out. So the two were very heated. Dylan makes a lot of claims that he, that Christian put a gun to his head during this time and that he threatened to kill himself if Whitley did anything, like if she tried to leave. And everyone says this doesn't sound like Christian whatsoever. Again, he was planning to kick Whitley out. Why would he say that? But again, this is all accounts from Dylan, who was at the scene. And getting more into it, Dylan eventually says that Christian was able to calm down and he 
Christian asked him, hey, why don't you go get us some Chick-fil-A? Here's my card. And Dylan's like, okay, cool. I'll get some Chick-fil-A. He goes to get some Chick-fil-A, and Christian, according to Dylan, told him to drain his account, take all the money out of his account. First of all, I, I would, I've never asked anyone to take all the money out of my account. I don't know why he would do that. He had already told his boss he'd be back the next day at work. There's no reason for him to be doing this, but nonetheless, that's what Dylan says happened. He says that he was asked to drain the money from his account. Obviously, the bank did not allow this because you can't just have someone else take money out of your account without yeah, access. That's just hella sketchy. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. But there is evidence that he did try to do this. They've seen on the video camera. There's evidence that he did go to Chick-fil-A. So those at least we know that that happened. But again, there's no Gotta way for us to know. that religious chicken. You know? Anyway, so he was, there was evidence that he did go to Chick-fil-A and he did attempt to drain the saving, drain the account. It was a checking account, not a savings, my bad. And obviously he was unable to do so and came back. And he claims that when he came back, he goes upstairs and sees Christian face down in the bathtub and finds him at that time. He yells for Whitley. That was his immediate reaction, which that is completely fair. I would probably start screaming too. And Whitley comes up there, gets in the bathtub, rolling all over him. She says she starts holding him. And then Dylan calls the police. So the call was made at 8.45 p.m. by Dylan. And he actually gave them the wrong apartment complex, which was a little odd considering that he had been there so many times. Now, it is possible that he could have just said the wrong name. That totally, like he's under a lot of stress. That's totally fair. But after the police went to the wrong location, he continued to confirm this with them. He said, no, this is the correct apartment. And they would say, oh, is it on this street? And he'd say, yeah, it's on that street. And it was completely the other side of town. And he also informed other people. So before the cops got there, he's on the line with them. He's trying to tell them where to go. But he's also telling everyone they know, like, hey, Christian said, and just notifying the public, apparently. And Mm -hmm. people started showing up. His friends started showing up. They emptied his wallet. They took his phone. And I want to point out that his phone wasn't there. That's something I need to mention. His phone was not there. And it's just really odd that all these people got there before him. But he can remember to give them the right location for everyone but the police. So there is no first response. There are no first responders coming right away. It took, they didn't get there until a little bit later. And so when they get there, again, they immediately ruled it a suicide, but there are a few things I want to mention. So Christian is right-handed. The bullet wound was on his right temple, but the gun was lodged under his right, under his left leg. So a lot of weird things about that. If he shot himself in the head, he would not be able to lodge the gun in this no. way. It would have just fallen. Not to mention it would not have been on the left side by any means. Not only is yeah. he right-handed, but also the bullet wound was on the right side of his head. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. It, if it was lodged underneath his body, that is also something where, like, it, unless he was standing up when it <laughs> happened, that wouldn't happen. But the fact that he was in a bathtub. Yeah. It's very odd. Exactly. It's very alarming. But this wasn't really investigated by police because, once again, they immediately ruled it a suicide. And I want to point out that on the phone call, they didn't say Christian said something's happened because it was the immediate response was someone's killed himself. There has been a suicide. That was the way it was reported. So it wasn't just it was assumed from the beginning. And it was framed Mm -hmm. that way from Dylan and Whitley. And 
So again, there was no phone, which is something that's very important in cases like this because they need to be able to look and see if there were any signs showing because again, they think it's a suicide. They need to be able to say, hey, look, this is what was going on. But they couldn't find the phone. And one of the good things the cops did in this situation, I know I've been giving them a hard time about saying they rolled it a suicide immediately because they did. They wouldn't let, they said, we can't let anyone leave until we find this phone. And then they had been looking for it for a while. And Whitley had been trying to leave. She wanted to go to somewhere else. And she immediately said, we can't leave until we get the phone, right? And they were like, yeah, you can't leave. She grabs it out of her bag and just gives it to them. She had taken this phone and try to keep it for like that, an extended no, period no, no. of time. No, no, no. That bad vibes. That's not Very bad vibes. Sense. When the family was notified, they immediately thought this he wouldn't do this and that is a common response from victims of suicide and their families. So that's not something that can be taken too far into account, but it is important to know all these weird circumstances around it at the very least they're just wanting it to be investigated because even the coroner didn't rule it a suicide he ruled the death as undetermined didn't list the type and it's just very odd they've been trying to get it overturned or at least get it investigated more for years this happened in 2014 as i mentioned so it's been six years and the da will not review the case without additional new evidence that is provided but you can't get new evidence without investigation from the police which they can't do unless it's reopened so it's very much at a standstill right now the family's doing everything they can to get a new da in place to get something changed so they can get this case open back up because they weren't even provided the results from the forensic testing they did not have access to that they were not told the information until it was leaked to the public at a later time they found out a lot of evidence which was also there were pictures released. It was released to the public and that hurt them a lot. I'm sure anyone. Yeah, that's got to be heartbreaking to the family. Yeah. So that's just one of the many things that went wrong here. And they're trying to, they're doing everything they can to this day to try to get a new DA in place so that they can have this case looked into more. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. It's just, it's so sad to see there's so many reasons that you would at the very least look more into it. I can understand if maybe there wasn't evidence, which I feel like based off the gun, sh- the gun residue and just a few other of the factors I mentioned that there would be enough evidence, but at the very least look more into it. Do not just assume what someone on the scene said happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's not, it just like so many things just don't feel right there has to be more to the case because like especially with like forensic evidence and like you know autopsy report like out like information like that normally is mm-hmm. released immediately unless it's withheld and i know that there are a lot of cases open now where it's like it, everything just seems wrong mm-hmm. and no information has been let go of so it's like there's something more there that we we don't know Something's and the behind family doesn't the scenes, know yeah yeah it bothers me because there's so many things like you said there are other cases like this and it's why who is preventing this why can't this at least be investigated again i understand if there's not evidence there but they're just asking for it to be opened Mm -hmm. there is a petition that can be signed i've already signed it and i'm going to provide a link to that petition to be signed on whatever streaming platform this is on or however we decide to distribute that 
but I just feel like it's really important to get this message out there and to have this case reopened because there are so many cases like this that just aren't given the proper investigation that they need for justice to be served. Absolutely. And I think on that note, I think it's, uh, you know, we're just getting started on this, but then again, Mm -hmm. we are two people with, you know, our own social platforms and, you know, we have a being within criminology as grad students, we have resources to, Mm -hmm. you know, get word out. So like, if you happen to be listening to this and you have a case that you're really passionate about where it's a very similar thing, uh, there's push to open the case back up, but, uh, you know, the jurisdictions and other things they're pushing back saying no, and there's a position to sign, please send it to us and we will try to spread the word and post it on our platforms. Uh, and we're working on getting a website put together and Looking all the really links cool. and things that we have mentioned in this will be on there. And uh, we want to, you know, make it a resource for people to learn more about these cases and, you know, have that information because uh, in order to get things done, people need to be educated and aware of exactly. things that are going on. Yeah, I think that's the biggest problem is a lot of people don't know and we live in an age where luckily we have so many, we have so many resources. We need to take advantage of them. Absolutely. So um, our uh, website, we don't know when it'll be up. When it is up, it'll be in the description of whatever platform that you are listening to uh, mm-hmm. this podcast on. Again, if you would like to email us any you know, cases you're interested in, any corrections, uh, any mm-hmm. updates, Again, it is uh, badgradspodcast at gmail.com. That is B-A-D-G-R-A-D-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And if I spelled that wrong, I'm sorry. Spelling is fun. (laughs) I'm really great at spelling. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Um, We had a good time. Yeah, this is our... Uh, hopefully the first of many episodes that are out into the the big old world wide web uh, but it'll be good and again this is fun for us we hope it's interesting for you but at the same time these are sensitive topics and we are going to try our best to uh, deliver the information in the most factually correct way uh, mm-hmm. to spread light to some of these issues that uh, tend to be glorified romanticized and forgotten about so yeah so thanks for listening to bad grads Uh, i'm kate i'm callie and uh we're signing out (laughs) peace till next time